0: Hello and welcome to Written in Uncertainty, an Elder Scrolls podcast sat firmly in the grey maybe of Tamriel, and proud member of the Robots Radio Podcast Network. My name is Aramethius, and this week we're looking at Volume 8 of The Truth in Sequence, which talks about the destruction of Mournhold and the banishing of Maroon's Dagon from Tamriel. If you want to have an alternative account of this, there is a historical fiction telling In the 2920 series of books by the way so just to get something that's a bit less theologically loaded and I don't know maybe just as fictional in terms of how this is actually played out on Tamriel but just an alternative perspective for now but anyway shall we get to the text taken from the sermons of small Smallvane, fourth Torbillion to the Mainspring Everwound. By the word I wind the gears. Blessed father of mystery, place your oil upon my tongue that I might tell the true tale of Mournhold. Behold the strength of untold calculation. Behold the power of the Mainspring Everwound. And that kind of sets the tone for the rest of this piece, really, that this is something that's set to display Sophocles' power, show how wonderful he is, and otherwise position him as something that's worth being feared. The nod to place your oil upon my tongue sounded kind of interesting to me. It's oil in a lot of religions is something that you anoint people with, that you use as a form of blessing or appointment. If you go back to Old Testament Judaism, then it was typically used to appoint priests and, kings. and perhaps a more specific reference in this one is something from the book of isaiah i think it was when he was presented with a vision of angels his mouth was made clean by an angel placing a burning coal on his mouth so particularly given how this sermon will talk about oil later as something hot and of punishment and so on and so forth that kind of reference kind of rings out for me a little bit Every nameless soul must confess the truth of Mournhold, for many lessons hide in its ashes. And there is the point of this sermon that it's an article of faith for the Clockwork Apostles that Sophosil was responsible for the banishing of Merun's Dagon at Mournhold, and that it's a true display of his power and everything that that means and also potentially a place of mourning and dismay, as we see later on. Sing now the hymn of anguish and horror, child of Set. Behold Merun's Dagon, sovereign of destruction. Merun's Dagon, the flame tyrant. Merun's Dagon, father of cataclysm. Recall how he marched upon Almalexia's jewel. Do you remember how his will burned like kiln fire and hot pitch fell from his lips? Aloft he held four great razors. Each sang a screeching paean to glorify him. Torrents of flame fell upon the innocent and wicked alike, shearing flesh from bone, belching forth widows and orphans in gouts of frothing screams. Apart from that being very, very vivid and feeling like Merun's Dagon is generating all this destruction himself, it feels like an awful lot of the consequences are just falling out of him almost with this there's some bits I want to pick up. The titles here are interesting. It's normally not something that you would see done to heap a bunch of titles upon something that is your enemy. But if you think back to the idea of what names are for the Clockwork Apostles, that being named is being made something lesser. So slapping all of these definitions on Dagon, is making him something less than he should be, or less than he was. It's a way of demeaning him in a very Clockwork Apostle-specific way. The Four Great Razors is firstly a nod to Dagon's appearance if you play The Elder Scrolls IV and see him at the end. He's got four limbs and uses them that way, in a similar way to how Hindu deities are portrayed, with multiple arms and with that sort of a look to them. The four razors is interesting because typically Maroon's razor has only been one thing. So is it possible that there are more of them? Unless this is some sort of a reference to the Daedric Crescents, which we saw in the invasion of the Battlespire. We know that the Daedric Crescents were used by Dagon's invasion forces to take the battle Spire, but we don't know how many of them there are. If you look at the artwork surrounding Battlespire, there's only typically one in shot, as it were, and so you can't really tell how many there are supposed to be. Supposedly after the destruction of the Battle Spire, they were all confiscated and destroyed, and there was only one remaining by the time of The Elder Scrolls III, so, but that's several eras away, so if you're looking for weapons that have multiples of them and an association with Dagon, my gut feeling is that this is likely a series of Daedric Crescents rather than the Razor itself. And just to give a little bit of definition, a Epeon is a song of praise or joy or triumph. It is a song that expresses joy and exultant joy more than that. And that last line of torrents of flame fell upon the innocent and wicked alike, searing flesh from bone and so on. That reminds me to pick up on Old Testament references again, a bit of Sodom and Gomorrah, although this is far from righteous judgment. It's portraying Dagon as a force of nature as such, which fits with his portrayal within mainstream tribunal theology, where he's aligned with the hostile environment of Morrowind and natural disasters, although this is potentially not a natural disaster. It's something that is seen as a tragedy by most of the Dunma. Who dares face me, draped as I am in fire and blood, roared Dagon. The Dark Prince beat his breast and howled long-forgotten curses. The dead burst forth from their tombs, shrieking for mercy. Geysers of black liquid sin erupted from below, flooding ruined homes with torrid lies and conspiracy. And everywhere, flames, an inferno that turned all souls to ash. And again, this is a really, really nice pictorial representation. It's very vivid in its imagery. And it makes me think a bit of the nature of the Daedra being made manifest, that everything is kind of erupting up from below, but that description, liquid sin, is quite a powerful representation of things being destroyed. And it's a little telling to me that it's black liquid sin, but the wording doesn't sound like oil. It's quite definitely not oil that's erupting from below because oil for the Clockwork Apostles feels like a holy thing. You had earlier the question, were Cagranach's hands not covered in oil? And earlier on in this sermon, you saw oil being used as a blessing and an anointing. So to have that sort of a substance associated with Dagon would be bad. And so they're trying not to associate Dagon with oil here quite explicitly, I think. Almalexia, Mother of Mercy, cast her eyes upon the ruins of her gemmed city and wept. To see such love burned and squandered turned her heart to molten brass. Our clockwork god took note of her fury, sealing the memory away in his great mnemonic's planisphere, a reminder of her love's high price." And that idea of sealing a memory away is interesting. It was mentioned earlier in these sermons that memory is a force to drive pistons, and To be a motivator and you look elsewhere and Sothisil is associated with memory and has some connection to it possibly through the movement of water and that sort of thing so Sothisil taking the memory of the destruction of Mournhold and using it as something to potentially power something to be a reminder to be something which inspires action is entirely fitting within Sophocles' sphere here, I think. And it's also interesting that Almalexia's heart is turned to molten brass. Earlier on in the sermons, molten brass gets described as being impervious to harm but incapable of movement. So this is a way of shutting Almalexia down, making Almalexia just entirely unable to function, but also. Making sure that nothing is going to happen to her, it's kind of a hint that things are going to be alright, I guess. But it's also something to say that Amaleksyr is now not going to do very much. Rising from the ground like foundry smoke, the tribunes confronted the Prince of Disasters. A.M.'s voice like a screeching steam whistle and softer sills like a lurching engine. Eram var i altadun They cried, rending their garments and donning their killing masks. And that little last phrase there, rending their garments and donning their killing masks, it's a mixture of metaphors. As far as I'm concerned, it was a display of displeasure or grief. To rend one's garments in ancient cultures, to tear your clothes, was something to show how angry you were or how sad you were, and. So there's that to be pulled out here, I think. And donning their killing masks, it feels almost like a transformation into some sort of superhero that it's, yeah, they're putting their game faces on now and assuming the form where they're going to get stuff done. The Elnifex, I am not sure about, if I'm honest. Um, Eramvar, I Altadune. Eramvar, I don't know. I Altadune. That is is weapon, but and so given the context of that, saying rending their garments and donning their killing masks, it could be something like our grief is a weapon, but I don't know for sure. That's just my speculation and I can't find a source that actually gives a full translation of that, but that sort of a cry would fit in this sort of a space. A.M drew her bright hopes fire and skipped over the flames like a river stone. With a mighty scream, she plunged the blade deep into Dagon's breast and turned it like a jailer's key. Scorching blood spewed out from the wound, scolding her hands and face. As she fell, the divine metronome chiselled a thought rune of infinite angles. Do you remember how the veins of tin, copper and orichalc erupted from the depths to break our mother's fall? Through his will alone, mighty Set wound the veins into god bronze whips and lashed the prince pitilessly. Dagon hissed and tumbled backward. His otherworldly flesh fell like chaff before the scythe. Alas, a samison a samisoneseisum, ghoul thing, emerged from every chunk. I think I got that pronunciation right, but I honestly have no idea what that last word means. I'm assuming it means cursed or otherwise despised thing in the same way that Anuvanasi means blessed be or something similar. A multitude of the creatures gathered around Ayam, fiery tar oozing from their mouths and open sores. They groaned and wretched, speaking only Dagon's name as they fell upon her. The Warden hissed thrice, took up her blessed sword, and smote the beasts by the score. She severed head from neck and arm from shoulder, cleaving sin from virtue and shouting old oaths of banishing. Do you remember how the beast fell to her on that red day? And that repeated assertion of, do you remember how they fell? And do you remember how the veins of tin, copper and aura chalk erupted and all that stuff? This is meant to be a familiar story to the reader. This is meant to be something they will have heard and know the details of and everything that means. This is supposed to be a rallying cry for the power of Set, a demonstration of the power of the Clockwork God and particularly the Tribunal as well. So Some sort of triumphal event. There's part of me that thinks, is this part of a memorialised day or a celebration within the Clockwork City that we don't actually see? That's purely again my thoughts on it but it kind of feels that way if you're supposed to be that familiar with it if you're being asked do you remember and Almalexia being called the Warden here she is the Guardian of Morrowind in terms of her role within the Tribunal, she is Mother Morrowind looks after the land and is the warrior who keeps everything safe, she's the protector and so all of Morrowind is her ward she is the Warden you must recall the howls of madness, how Dagon foamed and snarled beneath the lash of Sothasil. Behold, cried the divine metronome as he smashed the prince to splinters. Behold the wrath of lost Ald Sotha. No death at my hands, false son of a false father. Kaya padhom vayi dune Again, I'm not entirely sure of the elm effects here. It's something about. Padame, so it may be some sort of reiteration of the false son of a false father thing that the Daedra are descended from Padame in the telling of the Clockwork Apostles, and so because Padame is a lie, the Daedra are a lie and everything that works out from that and if we remember Altadune is weapon, so we're potentially seeing something like Spawn of Padame taste the weapon or something like that, I honestly don't know. And the Wrath of Lost Ald if you remember, Merun's Dagon is the one who destroyed Ald and Sothasil's home. So again, much like Sothasil took the memory of Almalexia's loss of Mournhold and sealed it away to be a driving force and a reminder Sotha is using his memory of Al Sotha to be a reminder and a driving force for what he's doing. Even then, at the end, the Prince of Destruction did not relent. With the last of his four great arms, Dagon dragged the last of his four great razors across the watchmaker's jaw. Tasting the blood on his tongue, the Father of Mysteries whispered a final chrononymic death word and Dagon exploded throughout all time. I don't know what that death is supposed to represent necessarily because Daedra can't be killed, they can only be banished, but because it's talking about nimix and it's a single word, there's part of me that thinks this is potentially another allusion to Battlespire where we have to find Dagon's proto in order to get out, and we have to use Dagon's true name as a way to get out. So in contrast to all the titles that got talked about earlier, you've got Dagon's true name being expressed here. And that's the thing that actually does him harm. The earth bones quaked and the all shook from this word of sundering. Truth took root. The all I'm not totally sure on, but feels like it could be Mundus. And so this is something that shakes the world to its foundations. And if you think about truth, particularly in relation to how it's expressed in the words of the 36 Lessons of Vivek, truth is a violent thing. So Sothisil is taking reality and imposing his truth on it here. He's saying that Dagon will not be here and so Dagon is not here. That's the truth that's being talked about here. Merun's ruins slithered between the cracks of Nernan and Oblivion, shrieking curses like a petulant child. The mainspring Everwound tightened his brass-wrought fist and slammed the gap shut, another small step towards Tamriel final, a Nuvanasi. So ends the true account of Mournhold's fall. Remember this tale always. By the word, I wind the gears. And that is the Truth and Sequence Volume 8. It's rather short this one because it's mostly just description and not an awful lot else to be pulled out of it. There's references and callbacks to previous events in some ways but in some ways you're kind of expected to know this in the hearing of it and just know that it's an expression of Sothisil's power and so on. The shutting of the cracks between Nun and Oblivion is possibly a reference to Set enforcing the Cold Harbor Compact where several Daedric Princes, including Merun's Dagon, agreed not to manifest on Nern. This destruction of Mournhold here is an explicit breaking of that compact. So, in sealing shut the gaps and so on, Sothisil is reinforcing the terms of the Cold Harbour Compact, and so making it all the more sure that other Daedric Princes do not manifest on Mundus. It's a demonstration that the Cold Harbour Compact can be enforced and so the other Daedric Princes had better not manifest on Nirn in the same way. And that's about it for this week on the eighth volume of The Truth and Sequence. Next week we are looking at volume nine, which talks about Sothisil's attitude to craft and work and the, basically the attitude to mortality in some ways, I guess. Thanks ever so much for listening, and until then, this podcast remains A Letter Written in Uncertainty. You've been listening to Written in Uncertainty, a podcast written and presented by Aramithius. The music for this podcast has been kindly provided by Jan Glenbotsky and Jeremy Saul. Check out Jan's work on SoundCloud under Songs from the Lost Land, and Jeremy's Northern Diaries is available for purchase and on YouTube. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.
1: Are you into the Cyberpunk tabletop games or excited for Cyberpunk 2077? Are you looking to brush up on the lore, stay up on all the latest news, and talk about the game when it comes out? Check out the Cyberpunk Lorecast, a show from Robots Radio with me, your host, Robots. We'll go over all the details you need to know about the world, characters, and story of Cyberpunk. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere else you get your podcasts rated M for mature. Because we don't believe in scripted advertisements, we're going to do this raw.
2: I'm regretting this decision.
1: No, you're not. This is the DL Weekly Gaming News. There's nothing to regret here because it's your source for everything in the gaming world every week. We bring it to you unscripted, unfiltered. That's why it's rated M for mature, right, Brenna? among many, many other reasons. I am one of your hosts, Jameson. And as he already said, I am Brenna, the other glorious part to this quality podcast. You can find us every week, wherever you listen to your podcasts, at DL Gaming News. And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter if you want some gaming news in your social media feed every day, at DL Gaming News. And uh, you can find us individually if you really, really, truly want to see our faces. I am at DL underscore Mother Goose. And I'm at DL Jameson. And this was an advertisement. Go fuck yourselves.
2: The definition of a cryptid is an animal that has been claimed to exist, but never proven to exist. As we binged our favorite Netflix series and slayed our toughest bosses in a video game, we began to wonder about these creatures that appeared and stoked our imagination. What was the inspiration for the Demogorgon or the Dementor? Well, my name is Dave, and with my co host Austin, we bring you the Cryptic Gap. Every other Wednesday, we will bring you some information about our favorite modern cryptid. From TV to movies to video games, we explore nerd culture through the lens of extensively suspicious knowledge in cryptozoology. Find us on your favorite podcast service under the name The Cryptidcast. And follow us on social media at The Underscore Cryptidcast. Come join the growing community of Cryptomania.